This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. Right in the eye of the impact area, which we'll be talking about here in a little bit. Uh, we are, of course, in the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Fighting Gators, and we are protected 24-7-365 by crime prevention and sponsored by all the, the great sponsors. You see us uh, scrolling by your screen from time to time, and we appreciate the donors. Uh, Ted Yoho is checking on with us now. We have moved our Wednesday date uh, to a Tuesday conversation today because of the obvious uh, concerns we have for the storm that's approaching. Ted and I talked about this yesterday, and uh, we don't really feel as if uh, we're going to be with power or any of the amenities that make life civilized for a while. It could get really bad. Now, we have a backup generator here at the command center, but we don't control the Internet. And, of course, in... uh, uh, wind damage and rain and all that, which I really think uh, we're going to be right in, right in the direct center of this. Cedar Key is talking about having a 12-foot wall of water invade that town, and uh, that is really, really dramatic. Uh, Ted is over on the St. John's, I think. Uh, can't keep track of where he is all the time, but he's still going to feel the impact of this storm because it's coming across, really, Ted, your area and cutting across over to Jackson up into Georgia. It's even going to get plantation Mark. He's not going to be uh, out of the way of danger up in Virginia. So uh, we are here doing our Wednesday show on Tuesday, and we will not be broadcasting tomorrow. Uh, It is also problematic about Thursday. Uh, We'll keep you posted about Thursday because this storm also, what is troublesome for me about it, Ted, is that it's supposed to come in at the night. And storms right. that come in at night are, you know, things uh, uh, are bad enough at night with uh, all the ghosties and goblins you learned about as a kid. Yeah, when you hear that wind banging against things. And, Ted, as you know, for those of us who have livestock, the concern is trees down along fences, and then livestock go scattering all over the place, and we've got a real problem. So, um, Ted, good to see you this morning. Uh, Same here. I know that uh, you're committed to get uh, trying to help the public understand some of the big issues facing them, and we certainly have them. So uh, where are you looking at your storm preparation? Are you? I know you're in the middle of construction of something, but uh, uh, have you been able to, to take any extra precautions where you are? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, luckily we don't have any structure there yet. We've just got concrete, and I'm not worried about that blowing away. Um, we, you know, we did the basic things, you know, um, we've got a boat and stuff on the dock. And so we secured all that. 
help. I did my neighbors yesterday because they're out of town and we did, you know, tied up all their stuff. Um, but I think, like you said, we're going to see some high winds. The problem on the St. John's, it's a river that flows north. And as it flows north and the hurricane comes across, you know, hurricanes go counterclockwise. So it pushes that, that water into the mouth of the St. John's and it backs up. And last year it raised about four feet. It came right up to the, to the bottom of my dock. And uh, we're building the new house, obviously, above that. Uh, but people are taking preparations. The city has put out a lot of sand and sandbags for people to um, prepare for that with sandbags. And uh, let's just hope, like you said, it comes through and we don't get a lot of the damage. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for Cedar Key because when I was in office, man, they had a, a couple major ones that came through there and, and, um, and Yankee Town over there. And the damage that was done, those, you know, as you know, some of those places that are in business, the restaurants in that area, that hurricane comes and they're out of business for the rest of their life. You know, they, they don't get enough insurance to start over. And, um, you know, it's one of the problems we have uh, living in Florida. Well, actually, going from Swanee to St. Hatchie, right in the Big Bend area there is um, you know, it's a, it's a paradox. People love it there because it's good freshwater food kind of fishing inlet, and then uh, they can go out to the Gulf and do the Gulf fishing. and um, But it's very, very low. And and um, this is something I don't remember happening, a direct hit like this in Cedar Key area. Um, I can remember brushes with storms, and they're pretty significant. Right. The other thing that kind of is interesting, concerning about this one, is we can have 100-mile-an-hour gusts all the way into the end part of the state here in Gainesville. We sure can. 100 mile an hour gusts uh, will do a lot of damage roofs. It will bring all the power lines down. I think a lot of people need to be prepared just to be without power for a while. And it's uh, that's that's a problem for people. I'm checking the computers right now, as I'm sure you are. Um, Ken Hillier, who's in Atlanta right now, remembers Dora coming through Jacksonville at 64 at high tide. And uh, whoo, whoa, yeah, uh, that was your cold, right? Well, 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 I've got the Ted Yoho recipe for correcting the country, <laughs> and uh, I've been doing some thinking about the number one thing on the list, and that's the debt. And I gotta tell you, I, I, I talk to young people about this. And debt doesn't frighten them because they've been with debt, Ted, all their lives. They have a different type of value system than we did. You know, in my generation especially, you saved and you didn't go into debt, and that gave you peace of mind. These guys have had debt, Ted, I'm learning, ever since they were born, really even before they were born. And and they just take the position that you're going to be in debt, keep the credit card maxed, and go out owing everybody. I mean, they actually have that attitude. Some of the guys I talked to, just go out owing everybody because nobody ever pays the debt anyway. Well, the government set a great precedent on that. I mean, they don't pay their debt. And I've heard people say, we don't have to worry about that. We'll never pay that debt off. Jerome Powell, I tell you what, that guy, I don't know where they pick these people out other than I think they're following the agenda. Right at the beginning of COVID, you know, we have very low interest rates, no inflation, basically. 
but our debt was probably at that time about $28 trillion. And uh, we were talking about the, 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 the you know, the, the COVID coming in, the effects on jobs, the lockdowns, businesses going out. And I said, what effect is this going to have on our debt? He goes, the debt is not a problem. We don't have to worry about paying that off. This is from Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed. And I said, he goes, we've got a strong economy. And as long as we have a strong economy and low interest rates um, and low inflation, um, the service on our debt is is not an issue. And I says, you know, I said, uh, Mr. Powell, I says, you scare me. I says, I agree with you in good times. If money's coming in, it's okay, you know, because you can service that debt. I said, but with this COVID coming, this pandemic right at the beginning of that, there's going to be massive layoffs. There's going to be business closures. And I said, what will happen is inflation will have to go up. And then, um, you know, the interest rates will go up. And if that interest clicks up two or three points, the debt on our interest or the interest on our debt is going to surpass what we're spending on military. He goes, that'll never happen. That was in 2020. And I'm a veterinarian, right? You know, the only economic background I have is survival and building a successful business. And you learn through the school of hard knocks. This is a guy running the Federal Reserve telling us it's not an issue. Now look at where we're at. And um, these people are out of control. And, uh, you know, I don't know how they pick these people other than they say that they must agree to be a yes man. Just whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And that's where Trump was great because he put so much pressure on the on the Federal Reserve which isn't a constitutional position, but they own our money. Um, it's an amazing book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, how it came to be the Federal Reserve. And this is something outside of our control in Congress. And uh, good friends of mine, Rand Paul and uh, Thomas Massey, uh, and I was always on a bill to audit the Fed, but it never went anywhere because they don't want it. They don't want to be audited. They like that, uh, that veil of... Uh, cover that nobody can peek under the curtains like the Wizard of Oz. It's amazing. So you're young people. You're talking about young people. I once spoke at uh, the Lafayette County REC, and there's some young people in there, which I'm always glad to see at an REC meeting because it's a meeting of the GOP, the grand old party. And it's usually a bunch of people, you know, Q-tip people out in the audience, you know, the white hair, people like you with no hair and me. And, um, the young people, we were talking about debt and the interest. And, and I asked them a question. I says, um, do you think, let me ask you, I said, do you think you'll ever see Social Security pay out to you in your lifetime? Every time I've asked this, all the young people said, no, I don't think we'll ever get it. I said, but yet you're working and you're paying into the Social Security Administration, which I appreciate. I am sorry to collect it yet. Um, I said, I'm going to depend on you paying it until beyond my years, and then you can do whatever you want. I said, but you really ought to be ticked off because you're paying into a system that the government's forcing you to pay into, but they're not doing the management to maintain that and make it solvent. And um, we just need to wake people up, especially that younger crowd, because they're paying into this. And Congress has been talking about Social Security is going broke. They go through all these things, and it would have been broke if they hadn't done some of the things they did under Clinton and Reagan, where they started raising the retirement age one month, I think it was one month a year, maybe, 
And so it went from, what was it, 62 in the beginning or 60, now it's up to 66. I think it's 66 in two months for full retirement. And so had they not done those things, the Social Security system would have been broke. But Congress talks about it every year. And it was so interesting. I did a, when I ran against, um, uh, I think it was my second, my second campaign, uh, we got invited up to the Jacksonville Times to talk about Social Security. I mean, the editors, there was five editors, and they said, uh, we know Social Security is going broke. What would you do in your plan to do this? And so I mentioned some things that I would do. My opponent, a Republican, they took that and worked it against me, saying, Yoho wants to tax you more. He wants to cut your Social Security. He does, And it was so uh, disingenuous because that wasn't what I said. But they use that, and this is the problem. Republicans will come out against any reform of Social Security because, again, remember what politicians do. They worry about their next election. The statesmen worry about their next generations. <clears throat> and there's going to be have to be some corrections made for this program that's been going on since, um, I think it was FDR, um, since they did this. And, um, and so we need, to do, we need to fix these things. Well, they keep robbing from it, too. You know, one of the things <clears throat> that, when I was a count, uh, city manager is I had to slap the hands of those commissioners to keep them from taking money from one pot to cover something they'd spent in another. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't let them do it. And, oh, that's just common practice in D.C. Oh, they raised hell about that, you know. And uh, and fortunately, you know, they had asked me to come there. I didn't ask to come there. So they couldn't very well run me off since they'd asked for my help. And yeah, I, really? You know, it was yeah. a great position to be in because I didn't want the job. And uh, I didn't need to <laughs> back off of them. And I was trying to run the city and give them good advice. And I'll be danged if I was going to take their advice because it was lousy advice. Because uh, they never were informed. Practically, most of my time was keeping them informed about the charter, about right. where the money was and what they could and couldn't do. And what they loved to do was wait until there was the public meeting and then argue with each other on the dadgum dais. Yeah, that's what they do. It was a waste you're of about, time. You're talking about the public charter. If, if, if your listeners, you know, for the Republicans out there, even the Democrats, Look at the platform of either party. I know in the Republican Party, it says fiscal responsibility. We will fight for fiscal responsibility. And then ask yourself, but more importantly, ask your representatives, whether you go to their office, you do a teletown hall with them, if they still do the live tele, uh, town hall meetings, ask them what they're doing to fix Social Security. Ask them what they're doing to uh, get the debt under control. And this is where your program is so important because it's going to motivate some people or hopefully inspire because motivation short term, you know, it's the rah, rah feeling you have inspiration um, um, that when you light a fire under somebody and it gets into their, into their being, they're passionate about it. And motivation is kind of like uh, personal hygiene. You got to do it often. It's like a daily wow. routine. Whereas inspiration, once you do that, and if we can get people inspired about their country, and about the solvency of it, because that's just one component of it. But yet it is the biggest threat to our national security is our debt. And and hold these elected leaders accountable. And it can't be one. You know, I mean, we got up there and we fought the, the you know, the change, the spending habits up there under the threat of a 
government shutdown and all this stuff that's led up to where we're at now. You know, we got downgraded by a FISC uh, from a triple A rating to a A plus or double A plus, which is the first drop. But it's anticipated that we're going to go further down. But they attacked us back when I was in there in 2013 that said, if we shut down the government, it's going to downgrade our debt. Well, we shut it down for as long as shut down. I think they had for a period of time. It didn't downgrade our debt, but yet the debt and the service on our debt today, because Congress has done nothing, has downgraded our debt. So inaction is sometimes worse than some dramatic action. And if these people really care that are serving us, these people in Congress that we elect really care about this country, well, by God, they would go ahead and they would make some tough choices um, and be thankful that we, the people, can control those choices through our elected leaders, unlike in a communist country like China. I don't know if you follow what's going on over there. They're having a lot of economic woes, real estates collapsing. And Xi Jinping says, our people are just going to have to learn to live with bitterness. You know, so you can have the top down telling you that, or we can have the bottom up telling our elected leaders, I want this handled. And if you don't handle it, we're going to fire you. That's the attitude we, the people, need to have to get this government back. Over. You know, uh, there's, I'm sure you read a lot of the same things I read. Um, Saturday, the journal had a discussion by Aaron Zittner about how much group identity is the driver of partisan desire. Uh, right. Yeah, I read that. Tribalism. 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 Basically, is what it is. And uh, people just go into... Blind behavior without thought. And therefore, they're really easily manipulated, particularly if the media is part of the manipulator. The, I mean, the key force of the manipulator. And um, what we have here, and we and I have talked about this, is basically Republicans are sort of non-college white and more religious, and Democrats are now actually white people with college degrees. And you know, I took offense to that when I read that in that article. I would too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they make us sound like Hillary Clinton's deplorables. Yeah. Or Joe Biden's, you know, the mag the magna terrorists or domestic terrorists. You know, there's I mean, you got a college degree. I have one. Most of the Republicans I know have a college degree. And who cares if they don't? Right. They're usually business owners and successful. And they're out there building building a family, creating a family or a business, and they're paying taxes. Um, they're not on welfare, most of them. You know, um, that explains, though, why a city like Gainesville is as screwed up as it is, because you've got all these white elite intellectuals running the right. city. You don't have any people from the earth, so to speak. Um, they don't dare sit up there and say they went to church. Uh Whereas once upon a time, they, of course, did. You know, when we had the old-timey guys, I remember. Uh, they were business people. They were churchgoers. Um, they were um, responsible parents. Uh, and, and now we've got um, some other breed of cat in there. I don't know what, but it's not your working man, if you will. The quote-unquote guys I've got around here now, right now, painting and doing the things they do. Um, right. Although these guys are doing a painting around here, they're pretty darn sophisticated with what's going on in politics, Ted. 
because of the value or the erosion of the value of their dollar. Sure. If that, that to me is the strongest rallying point for getting voters motivated. I mean, they are having a tough time making it. I'm not going to disclose the name of this restaurant, but it's a very, very well-known restaurant. You would think by driving by it or by looking at it or going to it, they are raking in the money, okay? They are barely staying above water. And the reason is salaries, food prices, transportation to get the material to the restaurant to cook it, you know, I was amazed. They said, we are barely, barely keeping our head above water. Barely. And think and, about the people working there. Um, you, you know, this all goes back to government policies. You know, I think of Obamacare. Um, you know, it, it, one of the mandates of Obamacare was you have to give uh, health insurance to anybody that's a full-time worker, and they redefine what full-time was. It's either 30 or 32 hours. So if you work 32 hours, whatever that number was, you had to supply health care. So the cost of being in business went up. And and so what, what did the owners do? They let people work right under that so they didn't have to pay the benefit. So that decreased the salaries of these people, put that worker in a bind because of a government policy, and then you bring in the president now with his policies and his war on uh, fossil fuels. The biggest driver of inflation that I see is when, uh, when, Biden, when Biden got rid of the fossil fuels and made the war on that. Immediately, things shot up and they have not come down. In fact, they're getting worse. And uh, it goes back to what you're saying. That restaurant. When he buys something from one of the suppliers, whether whoever it is, whether it's napkins, meat, um, uh, spices, or whatever, everything is transported, and it's transported by fossil fuel, and it drives the cost up of everything we do, and uh, that ties into you know how we get this country back on track. We got to deal with our debt. We got to deal with China, our border, and we have to be energy secure. Well, meanwhile, we've got a government that is subsidizing business to kill fossil fuel. Sure. And this is driving up the very problem we're talking about. The administration, according to this analysis, and you've seen it probably in the journal, is spending trillions of dollars in taxpayer subsidies. And then they turn around through the Inflation Reduction Act. Well, you talk about, you talk about gibberish. Um, I've forgotten where gibberish was spoken. Maybe it was Alice in Wonderland. I don't know. But all that comes out of the government is gibberish. It's common speak in Washington. What is it called? It's common speak in Washington. Common speak in Washington. Uh, the magnitude of these subsidies. And I have heard old Biden say, well, I'm going to kill fossil fuel. You know, he's spending $1.2 trillion on climate and tax credits over the next decade and $400 billion in government loans. It ain't his money. I mean, I think probably another thing on your list that never comes up 
is the Obamanization of America. I, right. I, that is the fundamental. I'm sorry, and it's that's a, that's a foundation that's poured with rebar. It is, and that that is to me when I look at America, and I've studied this for a long time. That is the header. That's the headline. The Obamanization of America. Under that, you start defining what does that mean. That means the fundamental transformation of America. Let's look at the independence of the American person. Remember when we were growing up, the Chevrolet commercials, see the USA in a Chevrolet. You know, we built the economy we have on the freedoms we had. And we can get, we can continue to do that if we use smart technology, whether it's an electric vehicle for short, short uh, drives around, or if you go to a hydrogen or some other fuel source that we'll find out in the future that'll be developed. This is where innovation comes into play. If you, if you challenge people like Kennedy did on the space program and say to the American people, to the entrepreneur, to that young kid, I want you to come up with a new way of, of powering vehicles in this because we can't you can't run an economy on electric on electricity unless we change our lives dramatically and live in smart cities or 15 minute cities and then you're confined to that area and then you can take a bus to wherever you want to go ride the old greyhound um probably doesn't run out of electricity before it gets to its destination and um you know so that is really what's going on the obamanization of america the fundamental transformation all this other stuff we're dealing with, the wokeism, you know, the assault on, you know, people that believe in God, country, family, and the Constitution, that's all part of it. That's to destroy the the old America so that they can rebuild it into the new America. And really, and I said this, I, I did a report on this, or not a report, but a, um, a message that we put out after the AOC incident, that the fantasy that the liberal progressives are promoting this utopia, the socialist utopia in reality is Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro's Venezuela. That's what they want to replace America with. And that's what they're doing. Look at what's going on. You know, they're talking about the new mandate for masks coming out. You know, I mean, we've been here with COVID. We've seen it. Not everybody died. You know, in fact, 98.7% of the people survived. And they're talking about we're going to come out with new mandates on masks. And I think they're testing the water to see what the blowback is because they want to get people controlled so that they can kind of tell you what to do. And that's goes that's the antithesis of what it means to live in a free society as our founders set up. On the Ted Yoho today, uh, we've moved this uh, conversation from tomorrow and we're having it today. And we moved it in case you're watching in Atlanta or Mississippi, as I know some of you are elsewhere, is we are right in the bullseye. I'm looking at the computer, and I'll go into it in a minute here with Ward's weather, of the uh, arrival of an Adalia. By the way, Weather Channel is apologizing for the name. Nobody seems to be able to say it. And I like the George Onion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they apologize. There's been 12 names retired. Uh, really? Yeah, in a hurricane naming. So Adalia, Aldalia, uh, something of that line, is what we've got. And uh, this is an ornery hurricane. Right now it is strengthening pretty significantly, uh, getting upper 80, 90 over the warm water of the Gulf. 
So we're going to take a break in a minute here and come back with a little analysis of that and um, give you the latest. I'm looking at my computers here. Give you the latest we can do that. So we'll be back with Ted in a moment. And um, we're going to try to give you the best we can give you on Hurricane Adelia. And as I say, uh, we are right here in the direct line of fire. Be right back on the World Tour. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Attention all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Tonight's stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and football signed by coach Billy Napier and much more. Go to the Meldon Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com. And click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather Report on the Ward Scott Files. Brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron stations, patronize them, great people. Well, we are going to spend a couple of minutes here with you, giving you the update on what is going to be a very serious 
storm for us in this uh, area. Uh, we are expected to see uh, a hurricane, a Category 3 hurricane, by the time it makes landfall Wednesday. Category 3 is 111 to 129 miles an hour. Uh, this is going to affect South Georgia, the Carolinas, by Wednesday as well. And uh, this 111 to 129 uh, it can do some very, very serious damage. There's some things you can think about. The governor has said that this is, of course, uh, an emergency situation. Check your prescriptions. You may get them filled early, even though they may not yet be ready to be filled, because when the governor issues this type of decree, uh, the pharmacies have to follow suit. You may not have thought of that, but things tend to run out. And the reason they run out is not what necessarily happens in your immediate area. But let's say you want water bottled, but it's coming from another town. Well, it's not going to get there by the roads, perhaps because they're either flooded or the power lines are down. Um, it can be a pretty rough situation. And you need to think of everything you never thought of before, probably. And then you will not have thought of everything. Uh, right now here at the uh, Warthog compound, we are... Uh, putting all the things that can be blown into a caged area, if you will. It's actually my uh, former dog's compound, which is screened off and uh, uh, fenced off. So if something blows in that compound, it's not going anywhere. Uh, my dog went to dog heaven a while back, and I just uh, see Ted smiling, but I just haven't uh, uh, replaced him. Uh, there's a dog cemetery out here, Ted, and uh, – yeah, it's uh, I had uh, my good buddy Mark Coleman came out and put one of my dogs down, yeah. and um, God. yeah, and uh, and he cried and I cried too. So, <laughs> in there myself, I was just wondering how many nights you had to spend in that dog compound. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got his house big enough to where I can stay in it with him. <laughs> so, anyway, that's our storm tracker for now. It is headed uh. Uh, directly, probably over Cedar Key, and that whole area is very low. We could have a 12-foot storm surge there. Uh, there the light poles or the uh, street markers there are only 10 feet. So, really? Yes, they're only 10 feet, Ted. So if you can imagine, you won't even see them. The water will be two feet above it. Now, the only time I've seen that kind of water inland is during the no-name storm in the 90s. I remember and that storm. That was really profound. Um, it it nobody knew it was coming, and here it came with a big storm surge. So we're talking with Ted Yoho now. Uh, we are taking anything you want to talk about on the chat line. We've talked, and I'm talking about Ted's Yoho Yoho's uh, list to success in the country, which is really derived from experience. And the frustrating thing is. It makes perfect sense. Now, Ted, there's something else that maybe we can talk about. And uh, there's some controversy about Ron DeSantis' attitude towards Ukraine. When he said, we really don't need to be putting the emphasis, Ron DeSantis' attitude toward Ukraine, or what yeah. he allegedly has an attitude. Right. But the, the article I'm looking at, and I know you read a lot of the same things I do, 
is that while we've been worried about uh, Ukraine, uh, Putin has been exercising his, through the Wagner Group, his influence in, and he's been disrupting Western positions all across Africa. Sure. Uh, Nizir, for example, a coup. The the Wagner Group supposedly instigated that. And the reason Russia is doing this, while we're over here, as you say, hassling about woke, hassling about bathrooms, Russia is gaining control over gold, uranium, and creating chaos for Western interests in Africa. Uh, You want to take that up, for example? No, you're absolutely right. And and this is where the president, he can't do it by himself. He's got to have a team of people with him. But he should be like Bear Bryant for people that remember Bear Bryant. He had the teepee up there with his his, his uh, lookout stand where he could watch the whole field. He could see the offense, the defense, the receivers, the kickoff teams. He could watch all of that from up here. And that's what the president needs to do. But, you know, no one person can do that. They have to have a team of people that are specialized in these different things. And so you look at Russia and China. You look at the influence in the elections that we've had from Russia. You look at what China is doing via TikTok, through the spies, through the espionage, through their thousand talent programs, where they're paying. They're not paying. They're forcing professors that come over here from China to steal secrets to send them back. It is, they are mandated to do that. You know, they just caught those two spies out in San Francisco or somewhere in California that were taking pictures of some of our top secret uh, installations and our our ships out there. And it's happened in Jacksonville, Jack's Naval Station. And so those two together are working to subvert Western style democracies or liberal democracies. And, And so your point with Russia and Africa, they are teaming up with China. And it's amazing because when you talk to the African leaders, which I've talked to a lot of them, they don't like to do business with them because it benefits the Russian Chinese economy, not the African economy. But they don't like to do business with us because especially under Obama and um, this administration, Biden, we want to tell them how to live and what their values should be before we give them money. And, you know, so the African leaders are like, We'd rather work with the Americans, but by God, I don't want to tell anybody telling me how I should run my country. And, um, you know, and this is where Russia and China are gaining the foothold. Now, the danger in this is Africa is rich in a lot of things. Their biggest resource, and I've stressed this with their leaders, your biggest resource in your country is not your minerals, your, you know, your forests or this. It's your people. You need to invest in your people. And that's what they... They agree with that, but they're not doing it. And that's why you have the, the uh, disarray that you have in Africa. And so you have somebody like Russia and China doing that. In the process, they're gaining hold of the critical minerals. They're gaining hold of the of the gold reserves. And they're building those up. And, um, again, you can't be a strong nation if you're in debt. And, um, you know, right now China supposedly owns the most gold in the world outside of maybe Thailand or Saudi Arabia, and um, um, we've dropped the ball. We have dropped the ball in foreign policy. And this goes back to what you were saying about the Santas on NATO and Ukraine. Um, Ron came out and said that it's not our fight. 
I somewhat agree in that. And I think the fight should be in NATO. We, we established, NATO was established after World War II. And um, the whole thing was to form an alliance from aggression from another country. So the response shouldn't be from the United States of America. The response should be from NATO. And Trump did such a great job of getting the NATO allies to start paying the money and catch up monies they owed. And they had a, a surplus of, of billions of dollars oh, back probably six or seven years ago. And so why should it be the United States of America sending all the supplies to, to, to the Ukraine? I think we should stay strong with Ukraine, but I think the influence should come from NATO. And then if you look at that, it's not the United States against Russia. It's the NATO allies against Russia. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. You know, so now you're not singling out one country that's, that, that is uh, making, stacking the deck against Russia. And of course, when we do that, when we come out as the United States supplying all this stuff to Russia, that brings in China, that brings in North Korea, that brings in Iran to support Russia because they, those countries are against uh, Western ideologies. And it's like I, I, I've mentioned that book before, The Seven Tipping Points, or The, the Miracle of Freedom. Um, we know how rare freedom and fleeting freedom can be. Those countries can't survive if they have free people, free-thinking people. And so the NATO countries were pretty much ideologically aligned. Those should be the ones supplying the, the weapons. And so I think our support should be to NATO and then from NATO to Ukraine. Walter Meade would agree with you here because he also speculates or hypothesizes that Putin's pretty sharp here because by tying our interest up, uh, the European powers, they are European powers, the Western powers, Europe included, is losing influence in Africa. And this is uh, making the geopolitical European Union impotent. Uh, and it diverts American attention and resources from uh, uh, Asia and more particularly the Middle East, Syria in that area. You know, we've kind of all that investment, if you will, we made under Bush and going in and taking out Saddam. I don't think we ever got anything in return on that, Ted. No, we didn't. We uh, And again, that's foreign policy. That was a mistake to take out Saddam. Saddam ruled that country with an iron fist. You, I mean, you can not support the guy, but if you go back to the 80s, late 70s and 80s, we supported Saddam Hussein. We gave him chemical weapons. We gave him armaments. And, um, and then we turned because he became, you know, you know, raising his saber and down with America, you know, because, you know, we were, again, we were telling him, how to run his country. And this is where our foreign policy is really um, is wrong. And then I, I, I'm just, um, I don't want to say disappointed. I was just um, surprised by Ron's comments about going after the, ta- or at, after the Mexican cartels with drones and drone striking Mexican cartels. You know, if they're in America, you're using military to attack, people with our military on U.S. soil. I mean, that's against our rules, just personally. If you go into another country and use drones, that's an act of war. Um, and then Vivek uh, Rasaswamy was saying, we should, we should um, 
get our chip manufacturing here and let Taiwan go back to China. That shows the inexperience of both of these guys on foreign policy. And if you look at foreign policy, bad foreign policy put us into uh, world wars. It put us into uh, the Korean conflict, not so much the Korean conflict, but the Vietnam War and everything else revolved around foreign policy. This is where foreign policy, I, I, I truly believe this, is the most important committee in, in uh, Congress because if you have strong foreign policy, you're building off strong economic policy, um, policies domestically, but then you're building off strong international trade policies. And if you have strong policies, then you have strong national security because you're working with like-minded people. And this is where NATO should be the ones that are supplying Ukrainians, not any one country. And this is where Biden has gotten it wrong. And I'll be surprised if it doesn't get us into a war. And um, the same thing with China, you know, China and Taiwan. Well, uh, Putin, um, according to me, thinks of this as the incoherence of the contemporary West. I love that phrase. I mean, it really is. Doesn't it nail it? I think it does. I think he's very right on that. And they're playing on our weaknesses. Yes. you know, the, the the fragmentation we have that they have helped create and we've allowed through our media and things like that. Russian, what is it, RTA, Russian television? Um, it's one of the most watched television stations in America, the Russian television network. Well, also, one last point he makes, which I agree with, chest thumping over democracy. You know... I'm always kind of wondering about this, Ted. Why do we make that a contingency for their support of us and our being an ally? Whatever. I agree. You, you follow me? I oh, mean, absolutely. You know, th- let that guy run his country, okay? If he's an ally of us, uh, but we single out something in their human rights usually, and yeah. we go over and beat that drum as if we had it ourselves, you know. And they just, they say, what are you doing telling me how to run the country? I mean, you know, I want, okay, I'm going to be Russia's ally. and Or I'm going to be China's ally. I don't need to hear you tell me what to do. Yeah, and- this is where we've got this so wrong. And uh, Samantha Powers was the uh, um, ambassador to the U.N., U.S. ambassador to the U.N. under Obama. And now she's in charge of, uh, she's the administrator for USAID, which is a branch of foreign aid. Um, and... When I was a freshman in Congress on foreign affairs, I had read this article and was on China and Africa and China and other countries giving foreign assistance. And they give out a ton of assistance. We give out the most of any nation. But China is probably second as a nation. Um, And this article went on to say that um, it was talking about the Chinese philosophy in another nation. We don't do like the Americans we don't go in and tell people how to live their lives. We do investments and we move on. The problem with that, China brings in their workers, they bring in their material, they build the Chinese economy within that country with Chinese hotels, Chinese run and staffed hotels, Chinese restaurants and all that other stuff. Americans come in there, we want to know what you're doing for the LGBT community or the environment or climate change and all this stuff and, and trying to get people that have no electricity just to survive on solar or you know, renewables and I don't have a problem with that, but to build an economy, you need strong, reliable baseline energy. And, um, you know, we just get this wrong. And so Samantha Powers was telling us how we should go in. Our job is to build stable democracies around the world. And I, 
I pulled out my constitution when it came my turn, and I said, I said, uh, uh, Ambassador Powell, tell me in this little book where it says the role of the United States government is to create democracies. I said, that's a, neo, um, a neoconservative thing, which is part of the um, uh, uh, Council on Foreign Relations is neoconservatism is building democracies around the world. And to sum it all up, I said, I think we should focus on building stable governments. Working with governments, they will come our way. You lead by example, not by f- pushing things down. And this, this goes back to something Trump said. He demanded loyalty. And when he said that, I'm like, no, you don't demand loyalty. You earn loyalty. And you, learn lo- you earn loyalty by setting an, an example that people want to follow, and then they'll follow you, and you'll earn that loyalty. Um, and I think so many of these people running for president, you know, they're either off on foreign policies or they're off on leadership and things like that. And we, it's not that difficult when you look at this problems facing us. You know, if we triage, it comes down to about five or six things, and that's that list you have that I've uh, articulated to you. And it, that's what we need to focus on at this time. You know, fix the major things, the small things, but a lot of those will fix on themselves. You know, I went back and saw this by somebody posted the Reagan. That guy. That guy was great. He was phenomenal. He could make a joke out of a story and make his point and never ruffle anybody, get them upset. And uh, had a twinkle in his eye when he told it. Um, he told one, which I won't try to repeat because I can't do it as well as he did, but about a politician and a priest going to heaven. And, uh, you know, the, the the priest being given a room very, very sparse and not much in it. And and the politician went up to heaven and St. Peter gave him a big mansion and, you know, all kinds of square footage and everything. And the politician said, well, how come you gave the priest such a uh, meager accommodation? He lived there. You know, you gave me this big mansion. He says, well, we've got about three uh, 3,000 priests up, but we only got one politician, and that's you. (laughs) 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 Reagan was good. I love the one he told about the the Republican uh, politicking out in the country in a Democratic area. And he knocks on the farmer's door, and he goes, my name's uh, Ronald Reagan, and I'm a Republican running for governor or president. And he goes, wait, the farmer goes, wait a minute, Martha, Martha, come here. And she comes out there. He goes, this here is a Republican, and he wants us to vote for him um, um, uh, for president. We, we want to hear your speech. Stand over there on that pile over there. So he gets up there, and they started laughing when he got done. They said, I always knew you Republicans were full of it because you gave a speech on a, on a pile of manure. He goes, that's a, he goes, that's the first time. Um, um, I've ever talked on a Democratic platform. <laughs> <laughs> but he would tell those stories with a twinkle in his eyes because, you know, he was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the, again, the left in the media just went on and what a buffoon he was, like they did with George Bush and any Republican president. Of course, they've, they've upped the ante with Trump and just have gotten very spiteful. They're very vengeful. Uh, we're in a dangerous place with our media today. Um, you know, and I, Mark Meadows, I'm sure you saw he's, he's showing up for the indictment and he's, he's working to get the venue changed. And if you look at the demographics of the venues where they've picked, 
they're all heavily Democrat. The, oh, the yeah, best yeah. right outside of D.C. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is about 30 or 40 percent Republican, the rest is Democrat. And, um, you know, we're at a point today where you're, we're supposed to be judged by a group of our peers, but it's more like lynch mobs today. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bad, bad culture. And, you know, one of the things I, I, you know, I don't suppose we'll ever get out of our system are the um, people, we were talking about Jesse Jackson the other day, that old crowd who've turned race baiting into a, an industry. Yeah. I mean, it actually turned it into a business. And why can't, we just, why can't we just move on? I mean, come on. Because yeah, these I, think guys, people, I think the American people are ready to move on. They're looking for that person that will move them on and bring us back to the United States of America. It may be that this generation of race baiters have to die off and where we can purge our system. You know, Faulkner one time, who was a Nobel Prize winner, from Mississippi, ask him how long he wrote about race relations and all that, how long it would take. And he uh, was writing, you know, in the mid 1900s, he said it will take a hundred years. And the reason it would take that long is for generations to expire, you know, that had memories of it. But what gets me about this contemporary race baiting industry None of them was ever a slave. None of them personally knows anything about what they're talking about. But they have created experience, you're right. You created a narrative as if they do. And and for the purposes of what? Bringing harmony? No. For the purposes of power and domination. And and we don't really have a spiritual leader. I mean I you know we're talking about leadership. I've really come to believe that all problems are spiritual. By that, I mean, what do you, you're a human being. I can go with that. Yeah. All problems fundamentally are spiritual. Um, In my family, the matriarch, my grandmother, was the spiritual beacon. Um, She taught me the Bible. Uh, She um, also, tough love, she had a strap. By golly, she'd whack you with it if you violated the doggone, um, you know, way the world was supposed to work. And I think I told you the funny story about my mother, who lived to be 107 and a half, of course. My brother on a Sunday, Ted, I don't know if I told you this. Uh, my mother lived in a mother-in-law's place they had there for her. And so on a Sunday afternoon, he was out mowing the front lawn of the house. And he looked up and he saw my mother over there. And she had one hand on her hip and a stern look. And she all she said to him was, do you believe in the Bible? And he he stopped and he wondered, what's she talking about? You know, do you believe in the Bible? Well, of course, she was talking about rest on Sunday. What are you doing out here mowing the yard on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon? You know, that's what we shared that story the other day. I had never heard it before. I thought it was hilarious. And it was, but my point is, that's a spiritual kind of anchor. You know, come on, son. You know, this is more than just a, a 
you know, world without order. There's an order to it. Well, it does. And when you lose the basics, you start drifting away from that which made you who you are, or your country, what it is. And that's what I admire about Chick-fil-A. They close on Sundays. Publix used to close on Sunday. But, you know, through the modern world of greed and making profits and, you know, things like that, everybody's open. I was over in um, Jerusalem, and they had their, basically their Veterans Day. The whole town, uh, the whole country shuts down for Veterans Day because it's that important. And they have celebrations, and they have picnics, and they do all that. But over here, it's just another day to run ads in the newspaper so that you can go out and buy stuff, and all the stores stay open because they want that profit. And I think we need to get back to some basics like that. And that's the thing I like, Don. You've heard me tell the story about playing football up in Alabama. Um, the football coach, Wally Burnham, held up the football the first day, and he had a big <laughs> chew in his mouth. And he goes, boy, this is the football. <laughs> and he was starting with the basics, blocking and tackling. And, of course, my brother's with me, and I nudged him. I'm like, well, these other guys up here in Alabama must really be stupid because I knew that was a football <laughs> But it was going back to the basics. And I think society, we kind of need to look back at that. What's important in life? Is it making another dollar or is it spending time with your kids, going out there playing catch with your kids or your grandkids? And I think we've gotten away from that. And, of course, the political climate today almost makes it where you can't. You know, because politics, I don't, I'm sure same thing with you. Wherever you go, politics comes up and people talk about that. And uh, I know you only got a few minutes left, so I'll shut up. Well, the other thing we were talking about a moment ago in the tribalism is that um, somehow being religious is a bad thing to the left. Right. Um, the the religion well, yeah. is the political ideology, is the religion. And boy, they believe it and they worship it. Um, Look what they did to Marjorie Taylor Greene, Christian nationalist. And she goes, is that bad? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I think that's a good thing. I'm a nationalist because I believe in America. And I'm, I'm proud of being American. And, um, yeah, no, they have. And, again, that's going after all the things. Keep in mind, this falls under Obamanization, the fundamental transformation. Go after those basic things that make America what it is, Christian nation, you know, um, pride in America. We've been talking with Ted Yoho on a Tuesday instead of tomorrow. We will not be broadcasting tomorrow. Uh, We are really, right now, outside the compound here, we're preparing I just heard the carts go by, uh, putting away anything that can blow. Um, the storm is going to be significant. I don't know about Thursday. We'll have to see. Uh, the issues, of course, will be power and and all kinds of damage, tree damage, a lot of water. Tree damages could be significant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those of us who have livestock, uh, we got to get right out there and check those fence lines um, because things can start running everywhere. Um Speaking of fence lines and livestock, Ted, I want to close with a story and see if you've ever seen this in your profession. One time I had a uh, sound of a distressed animal, and it was a deer that had tried to jump the fence uh, in one corner of the property here and had gotten caught and broken the leg and -hmm. couldn't get out. Well, the cattle were clear on the other side of the property. But guess what? They all came running together at the sound of that distress from that hoofed animal. Mm-hmm. You ever seen anything like that? Cows are funny. I mean, I've seen them not so much in that. I've had a horse do that same thing, got his leg caught up in the fence, was just laying there in distress. 
yeah, they'll come up and they'll, you know, they're curious by nature. Um, you know, maybe we should be more like cattle. And uh, I'm, that's, I'm, that's my point. I'm, 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 those mothers that have those kids, they don't yeah. have a, they don't have a doctor like you assisting them. And uh, there's no book they read, you know, uh, no. it, it's just their their lives. Well, man, it's 10 o'clock. Have a great day. Take care of yourself, Dad. I appreciate you moving. Everybody be safe. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, buddy. Take care, everybody. Portal Command Center out.